we're in this period where we're looking at our theme, Step Into The Flow. The message I'm going to give today is Step In The Flow, part three. But I've been so excited by the feedback I'm getting, by what God's doing in our thought processes. But it's time to get courageous, church. Father God, I just commit this message to you. I just pray you could use someone like me to inspire great people like these. Thank you for everyone who calls Equippers Church Essex their home. Thank you that your plans for us are outrageous. Help us, Lord, to stay in flow with you. Help us, Lord, to have willing hearts. Help us, Lord, to step beyond our comfort zone and into your zone. That lives would be changed. That Jesus would be famous. That salvation would come. That life would flow. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As you sit down, tell the person next to you, you've got a part to play. Uh, most of you will know that I spent three days in the city of Rome this week. I was suffering for Jesus. <sighs> Who knows? The Italians can eat. Wow. How do they say so slim? We, the setup was it was three days. We'd do two sessions in the morning, about an hour, hour and a half each, um, with a coffee break in the middle. Then we'd go for some lunch. Now, lunch in Italy is two and a half hours, two and a half hours of lunch. And... Uh, they just, it just keep, you think you've eaten and more keeps coming and more keeps coming. I was like, wow. I ate some weird things. I ate some, um, what did I eat? I ate some um, octopuses. Do you know them little octopuses, little ones? And you eat the whole thing. And I, like, it was like a bush tucker trial. It's, it's like these little things and you just put them in. And if you can get past your head, they're actually quite tasty. But I really found it hard to not look at this thing and eat. Anyway, I had oysters and clams and some giant prawny things and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I had uncooked tuna and uncooked beef and yeah, all this, this weird stuff, but they can eat. And then we'd do, a, do a, an afternoon, afternoon event and, um, and then in the evening we'd eat again. And we used to go out at half six and come home at half eleven and all we did was eat. It was just like, wow, <laughs> suffering for Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware, but we're launching an Equippers Church in Fiji. And uh, who knows, I'm staying really close to the pastor. (laughs) Everything they do on Facebook, I'm liking it. (laughs) Please, Lord, give me the call. (laughs) Suffering for Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, what do they eat? Yeah, hopefully not seafood. Great church there. Pray for them. Tico, Pastor Tico and his wife, uh, just brilliant, brilliant people, but they're getting some traction now and they're gathering a crowd so, so good. But it was great to spend some time in Europe and we haven't seen each other as pastors probably for over two years now. And uh, I really loved it and I really love rubbing shoulders up against guys and girls that are doing the same thing as me. Because who knows, it's been tough. Now, it's been tough, you know, in whatever walk of life you're in, but it's been really tough, I think, to lead a church because, as we've said before, so much opinion around it all. There's no, you know, the Bible doesn't say this is how you lead through a pandemic. It's just not there. And, uh, but we were able to share stories. You know, lots of tears were cried. and It was really moving for, for really great leaders to be vulnerable like that. But, you know, the overwhelming thing to come out of it was let's not get sucked into the spirit of this world. 
Because the spirit of this world is using the pandemic to bring fear, anxiety, depression, and all these things. But we're the church. And the church isn't subject to that. And it's time that we stood up and said, no, we're not going to be fearful. We're not going to be anxious because the spirit of the Lord lives in me. And we've got to start talking a different language. And I came away going, come on. It was really exciting to pray for Ukraine. Because... It's easy for us here in the UK to look at it from a distance. But I was standing there with Pastors Mira and Marta from Slovakia, and they're going to the Ukraine next week to minister. And they were looking at it thinking, oh, we're going to be able to go. And so we stopped what we're doing, and a bunch of European pastors, not just me and Colchester, got together and we prayed. And then the text came through that they're starting to withdraw, and we're like, come on. Now, I'm not saying for one minute it was only our prayer that prayed that did that, but maybe it played its part. And, and, and they said, let's pray for Pastors Miro and Marta. They lead Equipers Budapest, but they're actually from Slovakia and they're going to the Ukraine next week. Come on. So good to be part of a global church that's making a difference all over the world. Yeah. We sort of discussed, you know, when you look at the pandemic, and clearly God didn't cause the pandemic, man caused the pandemic. And it's been a tough time for so many. Lives have been lost and all kinds of stuff's gone, gone on, hasn't it? But the Bible says God will use for good what the enemy meant for evil. And when you look at it in terms of the church now, we've been given this window of opportunity. Because during the pandemic, the most Googled word was prayer. People started thinking, what on earth? Isn't it funny in the moment of panic people want to turn to God? You know, our government, the UK government, praised the church, the overall church, for the way we stepped up to, to give out hampers and money and, and a listening ear and stand in. And we did so much. The, the idea of people's concept, the church shifted in the pandemic because they said they're good people. And we are. But I don't think that we were thought like that before. Uh, and then there's this idea of online church. How, I wonder how many of your friends have watched online church that would, wouldn't come on a Sunday, but they watched it online. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people watched online church. Our, two Christmases ago, our Christmas service was watched by over 3,500 people online. I don't know if you knew that. But imagine 3,500 people in this room. <laughs> Might be a bit squidgy. <laughs> I'll load them up a little bit. But my point is this. What was meant for bad... People started looking at the church. People started being open to faith. People started praying. There's a window. And now we're unlocking. I feel like it's so important now that God's given us this theme that we're not to just say oh, we've got through it. The church is now to get empowered and flow back out there where people are more open than ever. This is our opportunity, church. Will you play your part? Yes. We're using this idea of Ezekiel 47, of this picture of this, this river that flows from the temple and it goes out and everywhere it goes it brings life. And that's the mandate on you and me and us. And it's so important. But on our final day in, in Rome, we had an afternoon free. And uh, eight or nine of us decided, you know, we've got the time. Let's go into the city. Actually, straight into the city centre of Rome. Who knows, you might never go there again. And uh, we went and saw all the other sites. I think I took a couple of pictures. I don't know which ones we're going to have up. Have a look at these pictures. Uh, we got, what we got? Pastor Barry Roberts, he was there. Here is the, the, the Colosseum, looks so cool. I did it in Pano, and I managed, I managed to chop off someone's head, and uh, Mark Carl, I was just chilling before he went in with the gladiators. But how, how cool is that? Here's the Trevi Fountain, suffering for Jesus. 
and uh, took these pictures, and here is the National Monument, all this splendor and this pomp and ceremony. And we got to see these things, and um, it was really quite special just to see it all. And obviously, it's very touristy, and there was all these people trying to get you to go, whoa, 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 hold that. Um, can you, all of these people trying to get you to go on their thing. But what we decided to do is we decided we'd quite like to go and see the prison where Paul was kept before they beheaded him. It was his final place before, before they, they took him away to, 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 to kill him. And uh, we went and stood there. And I took this little mini video, and uh, you'll get to see it now. Maybe play that video. This is actually where Paul was kept before he died. He stayed here for a year. He'll come around in a minute. It's upside down. That's the floor on the side. But it's, it's no bigger than, than me to the, to the TV, big. It's two floors underground. It's made of stone. It was cold. They kept him there for over a year. And I've got to say, it was, it was moving. Two of the guys started crying. Because you suddenly had this revelation that there's this man who had a, a perspective of eternity. He was willing to go to a place like that and not give up on his Jesus. It's just like, wow. And we know that Paul wrote probably nigh on two-thirds of the New Testament, certainly more than half. But in this prison right there, he wrote his second letter to Timothy. And so I went back and read it. And when you stood there, sorry, I get a bit emotional. When you stood there and you read what he wrote, it's just like it hits you harder. I, it's really inspired me to want to go and do an Israel trip because you can visit the tomb of Jesus. Uh, you can go and see the sights. And I just feel like if I stood there, I love my Jesus. But what if I stood there where Jesus himself stood? Anyway, it impacted us like that and it was really moving. And you know, we saw where they kept him and it was just a disgrace. And he writes the second letter to Timothy and he, he knows he's not going to get out of this one. He's been in prison before. But he knows this is his final destination. And when you read the second letter to Timothy through that eyes, I think it will move you. Because he says things like, I went on trial and no one came. They left me. Just like, wow. You know, that's one of the final things he said. But he says, I'm not, I don't hold it against them. I understand. And he lists where people are. He says, please say goodbye to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. He's saying his goodbyes. And uh, he says to Timothy, keep pushing. Keep pushing. Don't give up on it. Because he knows that Timothy's watching his mentor and he knows he's going to die. And Timothy's thinking, what on earth is going on here? They're killing all the Christians. He says, keep pressing in. Don't give up. Amazing. But when you're going to write your last letter, I'm not saying you will, maybe you won't. But he was writing his last letter and he knew it. And I feel like in that letter, he would have said things that were important to him. And bearing in mind all God's saying to us right now, something grabbed hold of me here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14, written in that little prison we just looked at. It says this. It says, Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know, he was saying to Timothy, God lives in you. Guard it. Make it important. Feed it. Water it. Protect it. 
Don't ever lose it because it's a game changer. Here we are with the Holy Spirit saying to us, I want you to flow out of the temple. And we know it's a picture, but when the Bible talks of water, it's often referring to the Holy Spirit. So what is it? It's a picture of the, of the church getting full of the Holy Spirit and flowing with him. And here in his last letter, what's he saying? Protect that deposit in you. There's something in you that's, that's the Holy Spirit and you need to guard it. Church, come on, we need to make this important. We need to make this important. We need to get it in us and run with it. There's all kinds of struggles around us and we are the church, not called to go there, there, called to step in and bring life because of the deposit of God that lives in us. And when you look at the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we know they have the same nature. They are all one and the same. And so if you experience one, you know what the other's going to be like. We know that the, the, the Father sent the Son. And the Son said, and you know, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father's doing. So when you see Jesus, you know exactly what the Father looks like. And then Jesus said, it's better that I go away because I'm going to send the Spirit. And he's going to demonstrate and remind you who you are and who I am. And so you have this Godhead all honoring each other, all pressing for each other. And you know what's what. We also know that what you feed grows. You know, if you've got grass in your back garden, we've gone for the fake grass now. It's much easier to keep. But you have to feed it. You know, sometimes it starts losing color and you can feed it and it grows. Now, if you've got children, you feed them, they grow. So if what you feed grows, how much more important to feed your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Because it will grow. You will hear him more clearly. You'll respond to his prompts quicker and better. You'll receive his empowerment and just your whole faith will grow. But the more I look at Jesus, who is going to be the same representation of the Holy Spirit that lives in me, the Spirit of Jesus lives in me. The Spirit of Jesus lives in you. The more I look at him, the more I just learn new stuff. Jesus was epic. You read any stories about Jesus and then read behind the story, it's just like unbelievable. Let me read this. I've learned something new this week. I'm going to read this to you. Matthew 10, verses 12 through 15. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. We were praying that this morning, weren't we? Peace rest on us. Go and give it away. Let your, um, if, they, if it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. And I've always read that and thought, yeah, too right. I'm carrying the gospel. I'm going there. I love you guys. I'm going to tell you all about Jesus. And you're rejecting it. <laughs> Get my foot dust on you. Lose yourself. It's going to be bad for you. That's how I read that. That's probably how you read that. But I listened to a message this week which really shifted something for me on that. From my friend Shane Willard who always brings a different perspective. And he helps you to understand how the people at the time reading that, hearing that, listening to that, would have received it. And it's different to the way I would have received it through my Western mind. You need to know that the biggest goal of a young guy, uh, an eight, nine-year-old lad in Israel, was to be a rabbi. That was the goal. Today we might say, you know, I really want to be a professional sports person or I really want to be a top lawyer or they're different goals. Back then, all the kids wanted to be a rabbi. That was the goal. But the, the bar was ridiculously high. They have to learn the whole of Leviticus by heart at the age of six. If you can't do that, you're out. That's how high the bar is. And, and so, so we know that Jesus comes along 
And what did they call him? Rabbi. Why? Because he passed the tests. When Mary lost Jesus, do you remember when they went and, and she comes and where's Jesus? Where's he gone? Where did they find him? In the temple. How old was he? Twelve. Having gone through, they decide who's going to go to the next level by the questions they ask. And what did they say of him? They were amazed by the questions he was asking. Here's this Jesus. Then Mary rocks up and says, where have you been? He's gone, well, of course I'm here. I'm here about my father's business. Asking questions, amazing them with my understanding. That's how a Jewish person thought. Then we don't hear of Jesus, do we? From age 12 to 30, we don't hear much about him. Do you know why? Because there's an 18-year course in being a rabbi, and Jesus is on it. And then there's this idea that you can be two different types of rabbi. You can be a rabbi without authority and a rabbi with authority. They call it shmika. When they listened to Jesus, they said to this to him, didn't they? You speak as one with authority. So Jesus is just like this amazing guy. He's the best of the best of the best. Of course he is because he's also God. But when, they, when the rabbi qualified, he would then build his team. And so what did Jesus do? He didn't go back to the rabbi school and find the people who didn't quite make it because they would have been brilliant but not quite good enough. That would be the obvious people to go to. Where did he go? He went to the lake. And he went to the lake and said to, the, to, to, to you know, the, the fishermen there, follow me. And if you look at it, it's really weird because he just says two words, follow me. And they're like, yeah. They leave their home, they leave their business, they get out of the boat, they leave their marriage. All stuff's going on. What on earth would you do? Follow me. That's literally the worst call ever. My dad was a fantastic salesman, right? He could sell snow to the Eskimos. <laughs> But if he knocked on your door and said, follow me, you'd be like, weirdo alert. <laughs> but they didn't. Because the greatest honour for someone who'd been disqualified as a rabbi was to follow the best rabbi. So when he said, follow me, they're like, absolutely. Jesus qualified the unqualified. So if you ever feel to yourself, I am not good enough, you need to know Jesus says, yes, you are. If you don't feel qualified, Jesus says, yes, you are. And he demonstrated it all through his life. Now, the next best thing, having been qualified as an unqualified person to follow a rabbi, the next best thing was to be the one closest to him. You will know John, the one that Jesus loved the most. That's what he writes about himself. So to get close to the rabbi, you'd have to walk behind him in dusty Israel. And as you walk behind the rabbi, the closest person got the most dust on them. Yeah? Now for me and you, we're like, get that dust off. No, no, no. He didn't want to remove that dust because it was a sign of honor. I'm closest to the rabbi. Look at me, covered in the dust of the rabbi. I am that cool. So for all of you who haven't watched this morning, well played. <laughs> covered in dust, but they thought it was great. Because it's the dust of the rabbi, it shows that I'm closest to him. So maybe, just maybe, just maybe, when Jesus is saying, shake the dust off your feet, he isn't saying discard them, he's saying, leave your biggest honour. They don't believe, that's okay, bless them anyway. And when you treat someone like that, there's a chance that maybe one day they'll have their own revelation and change their mind. If you discard them and say, shove you, you're out, there is no chance. But if you bless them anyway, maybe one day they'll find me. Isn't that my Jesus? 
and we've got the spirit of Jesus in us. So can we, church, start being less judgmental and less shoving people away and more like, okay, we're going to love you. We're going to bless you. And if you don't receive it, that's cool. We're going to bless you anyway. We hope one day you'll change your mind. That's a shifting culture right there, isn't it? But it's a Jesus culture. Everywhere Jesus went, he brought freedom and life. You know, one of my favorite stories, and I know I've told it many times, is the woman caught in adultery. Because it's just amazing. At the time, people caught in adultery, were, were, the law was you were stoned to death. Harsh. And there's this woman caught in the act of adultery. And so what is it? She's stoned to death. It was the law. It was the right thing to do. They put her up against a wall. The men picked up the stones and they were ready to go. Imagine that. Picture yourself being that woman. You are facing death in the eye. You're about to be stoned to death. It's there. You're waiting for the first one to hit you. But Jesus, the rabbi with authority, is just sat there watching. And they know. And they're looking at him and they're thinking like, Jesus, what would you do? And he comes up with literally the best answer in the history of answers. He says, okay, guys, you're right. But those of you who have never sinned, you throw the first stone. And they're all like, don't. <laughs> and what happens? The woman comes to Jesus and he says, are your accusers still here? And she says, no. And he says, I don't accuse you either. He doesn't leave it there, though. He says, go and live a better life. Go and live a better life. What's Jesus done? Someone facing death has now got the opportunity to live life because they encountered Jesus. That's our goal, church. Someone who is in a dark place, living in struggle and strife, not understanding what's going on, waiting for it all to hit them, meets you with the spirit of Jesus in you, and you're like, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to set you free. Go and live a great life. Come on. Is there some passion in you somewhere that you could be Jesus in someone else's situation? We are here commissioned by the Spirit of God to represent him. That excites me. We are here gathered at the temple, back to the picture, where it all starts and we get around the worship of Jesus. How great is it when Io just gets into his worship mode? I love Io in his praise mode. because <laughs> he brings life and excitement and fun and I think God doesn't mind a bit of fun but what about when he gets into worship and he's like Jesus, Jesus just honours the king and in that moment there's this exchange from heaven where we just know God is touching us and here we are at the temple and he says but that's not it don't come and have a bless me session and go home Get in my presence, touch my heart and I'll touch yours and then flow out. Flow out and go and touch some lives. Go and represent me well. Go and stand in dark places and make them light again. Go and stand in places where people are hurting and heal them again. Go and stand in places where people are struggling and provide for them again because you carry the spirit of Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit is just amazing when you look at the Ark of the Bible. Now again, Referencing Shane Willow, he's so good at this stuff. You know, man's understanding is represented through the Ark of the Bible. So at the beginning, you know, Abraham comes out and he looks up. And to him, God's up there somewhere. So he says, oh, God, you know, he looks up. But then they start having some more understanding. And, you know, then they build an ark, basically a box. And the presence of God is in the box. And they all honor this, this box. And, and God's fine with that. That's cool. And then there's a tent. 
And then this is David's tent, and they all praise and worship in the tent because that's where the presence of God is. And God's like, yeah, that's cool. We're getting, we're getting closer now. Then there's the temple, Solomon's temple, worth about a trillion pounds, built in this, all this splendor. And God's like, that, that's cool too, that's fine. But then there's Jesus, God made man, coming, dwelling amongst us, walking around us, one man in one place. But Jesus says, it gets better. Because when I go, I'm going to send the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to live in you. And so now we have millions of people with the Spirit of Jesus in them. Not one man in one place, but millions of people everywhere. That's why it's so great to be part of a global church. There are churches right now meeting all over the world doing the same kind of thing as us. Spirit of Jesus. You see, we thought God was up there, but God always wanted to be in here. He was always about closeness. When you understand the Lord's Prayer, it's so empowering. Our Father who art in heaven. Now, I've always prayed that thinking, you know, my God up there. But what it actually means is the heavens are the air around us. So it's actually my Father who is as close to me as the air I breathe. You are always supposed to be here. God's not up there. He's here. And he's saying, Barry, Pastor Barry, could you inspire some people to understand who they are, who they carry, who they're representing, the empowerment they have. We're not here just to gather, and gathering's important because we inspire each other and get inspired by God. But get out there and take me with you because someone needs to encounter some life. And that's the mandate on us. Jesus in John 14, verses 16 and 17 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. He's saying it's going to be better because the advocate's coming. And what does an advocate do? He stands for you. He's there with us. The spirit of truth. But then I got reading around the Apostle Paul again. And if you know his story, he was once called Saul. And he was a very high-ranking person, clever guy. And he became famous for killing the Christians. When you read in Acts chapter 7, the stoning of Stephen, there is Saul standing there holding the coats going, yeah, good job, guys. thought it was great. He was famous for this. But then we know he was on this trip, wasn't he? And Jesus appeared to him and spoke to him in this great flash of light. And it blinded him. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He says, wow, he had this encounter with Jesus. But then this happens in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, who later becomes Paul, whose prison I stood in. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent to me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's the game changer. Here's this guy who I stood in his prison. It it was really moving. The game changer for him wasn't just to believe in Jesus, which is a great thing, but was to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be full of the Spirit of Jesus in him. And it changed his whole life. Do you know what? You can be full of the Spirit today. Do you know it's a change of heart and it's a prayer of acceptance. You are welcome here. It doesn't take much. And God's not saying, oh, you haven't quite prayed the right prayer. Oh, you haven't got the... He just says, I'm ready. Are you ready? And we just need to have open hearts. And as you open your heart to being filled with the Spirit, you learn to flow with Him, which is the whole theme. You learn to flow with Him and you, you hear those prompts and you respond to them because you spent time with Him and you develop that relationship. You know, I've got various stories I've told over the years and, and probably my favourite one is, is praying for a guy who was blind in one eye. I believe I was 15 at the time. It was a long time ago. I'm, I'm frustrated with myself that my best stories are so long ago. I want my best story to be this year. 
No, could, could we create our best story this year? And do you know what's going to mean? Some courage. Because at 15 years old, which is you know, five years ago now, <laughs> I, was at a, a, I was at a conference. Now, back then, you know, we went to conferences where you stayed for a week in a tent and a caravan, this kind of stuff. You know, things have moved on. We do conferences like this now. I'm believing for someone to get inspired in that conference that you might have your experience. And I was at this conference, and um, the, the ministering guy was a guy called Derek Prince, and really gifted teacher. And he was talking about healing and, and gifts of the Spirit and stuff like that. Now, I'm 15. I didn't know too much. I was just looking at the girls, if I'm honest. <laughs> and um, I wasn't really Sarah, don't worry. But, but you're picking it up. You're picking it up. You're in the room, and God's doing stuff, and I was hearing stuff, and... It's amazing. And this guy I got to know, he was a lad from Peterborough, and uh, he was 15 too, and he was blind in one eye. And I got chatting to him, and said, you know, how did it happen? You know, he wasn't born like that. What happened when he was seven years old? He was messing about in the kitchen with his younger brother. His younger brother threw a fork and it hit him right in the eye. And so he, he was blinded. And so he'd been blind for some seven or eight years. You know, the, medically, there was no way around it. But here we are in this conference. Well, this guy saying the spirit of Jesus in you can bring healing. And he said, Barry, will you pray for me? And I was like, what would you do? But you're in this place of faith. And I said, okay, okay, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. So I didn't know out of my 15 years over crying out. All, all I'd seen is what people do is they get up to someone, they take a step back, they lean in and put their hand on the head. That is the stance of prayer, is it not? <laughs> I, think, I think all the demons in hell see that stance and they're like, oh, they're, they're praying properly now. <laughs> anyway, I've got my stance on. I wasn't sure if I was praying or being Bruce Forsyth. Good game. Anyway, I prayed this prayer. I'm ruining the story, sorry. I prayed this prayer. And I tell you the truth, the lad's eye opened. The lad's eye opened. Yeah, come on, someone get excited about it. And I'll never forget that moment. But you know what, Jesus, I don't want to be that, that to be my best story. Come on, 2022. Shift something in me. Shift something in the church that our faith might rise up to believe Jesus can actually do what he says he can do. And we will actually play our part in it. Come on, someone's life's going to get outrageously better because of you. I lost touch with him, which is a shame, really, because it wouldn't be cool if he could stand next to me and I'd tell that story. That'd be awesome. We were in, in Rome, and, and um, Pastor Dan Zeltner, who leads Equipa Zurich, again, suffering for Jesus. He's in Zurich now. If you know anything about Switzerland, and particularly Zurich, it's arguably the most expensive city to live in in Europe. Very, very expensive to live there. And um, he's pastoring a, a similar-sized church to us. I think he's got six children now. And, um, of course, money is super, super tight. But he's got a wealthy family in his church, and they said, look, we've got this home, you're welcome to use it. And it's, it's the home on the street, the richest street in the most expensive um, city. You go out there, and it's all the doctors, it's all the lawyers, it's all the superstar sports people, all the flash cars, great big houses. He's living in that street. And he's just like, this, is, this, is, this has to be God, for crying out loud. But they want to own their own home and they've been putting a bit of money aside and doing their best and believing God for some stuff. 
And this guy rings up Pastor Dan and says, Dan, I've been thinking about you and praying, and I feel like God's challenging me. He says, what could you afford to pay for a house? And so Dan's thinking, well, you know, he does his little sums and that, and he says, well, this much, which wasn't very much. And he says, I'll accept that for the house. And next week, he moves into a house in the most expensive street, in the most expensive city. And he says, it is lovely. He says, you know, God's my way. Someone's got to do it kind of stuff. But he said, you know what I love? I love bowling out of my house in the poshest street, in the poshest city in Europe, with my six kids who are half-dressed and half-undressed. And they're all looking at me thinking, how does he live here? And he says, because of my Jesus. But you know what? Dan's on the receiving end of a person who's flowing with the Spirit of God. Because who gives a house away? Who does that? Well, I'll tell you who does that. Someone who's positioned themselves well with the gift of giving on their life, who says, Lord, use me. And suddenly life springs forth. That's so, so cool. So, so cool. You know it's the Holy Spirit, I think, when it completely goes against the flesh. You know, give your house away. Really? Really? No. Pray for that guy who can't see. Really? When it goes against the flesh, you're like, come on, this is the Spirit prompting me, and I, I want to be brave enough to stand up. You can suddenly see why in Joshua, when he's going to take the land, God has to say to him, be courageous, be courageous, be courageous. Church, it's time to be courageous. You're going to have your moment. Don't read Joshua's story and say, be courageous. Make your own story and be courageous because God's going to do something through you. I love this. We first find the Holy Spirit right at the beginning of Genesis, right in the first verses. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I love that. I love that. And here's the thing. We are living in a time when there is so much darkness, so much emptiness. Some versions talk of chaos. All around us, people are struggling. And yet the Spirit of God is hovering over. And do you know what released the Spirit of God to do something? It's when the Father spoke. Let there be light. Okay, you've released me now. Let there be land to divide the waters. You've released me now. Let there be animals. Let there be vegetation. Let there be people. You've released me now. Church, God is waiting for someone to speak up. The Holy Spirit in us is hovering, saying, there's that person you know, and they're in deep darkness. They're, They're depressed. They're struggling. They can't feed themselves in the right hole. Here's you with the Spirit of God hovering. And is someone going to get some courage up? Is someone going to go to that person and speak some life? Is someone going to get some faith to lay some hands on some? Is someone going to do something that gives the opportunity for the Spirit to move? And it's flow. It's flow. Remember, Paul, guard that deposit. There's a deposit in you. And I feel like even you listening to these stories, I'm telling you right now, there's something in you that's going, yeah, come on, I could do that. But here's the thing. You will leave. And Monday will go past, Tuesday will go past, Wednesday will go past, Thursday will come and you'll get your opportunity. But unless you guard that deposit that's being stirred now, you'll get to Thursday and you've lost a little bit. 
And you'll get your opportunities, you go, oh, next week. And next week's fine, and God's got grace for you. But how about this week? How about we guard that deposit and say, I'm ready when you are, Lord. When that opportunity comes up, I'm stepping in. I'm speaking up. I'm laying hands. I'm giving. I'm doing whatever you ask me to. I'm just going to say yes. Paul said, guard it. Nurture it. Make it important. It's a game changer. Now, I created this slide, um, if you could bring it up some years ago, but I think it's a really good and healthy and helpful slide. You will find three passages biblically where you find the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, it's hard to read, but you can see them, maybe take a photo and you can zoom in on it. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you find the nine power gifts, and they are the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, healings, miracles, and faith. The point I want to make in this is it's vast and varied. Then you find in, in Romans chapter 12, the seven, which I've called purpose gifts, prophecy, teaching, leading, service or administration, exhortation or encouragement, giving and mercy. They're gifts of the Spirit. And then you find the five people gifts in Ephesians 4, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. These are people that God raises up for the training of the saints. But I want to focus on these first two. And here's what I want to say. You are on there. Every single one of you is gifted by the Spirit. And I want to show you how different they are. Because who knew that the gift of giving is a spiritual thing? Some people think, oh, I'm not, a great, I'm not good at prophecy. Well, that's okay. Because maybe you've positioned yourself in your business life to be so wealthy that you are able to be prompted to give someone something and it releases life to them. It's a spiritual gift administration, service it says there. Who knows that you need people in your life to organise you? Praise the Lord for Ellie Wilson. Round of applause for her. She's my PA. Without her, I might not even be here this morning. I'll be in the wrong venue. But it's a spiritual gift. And what I'm trying to do is open your eyes to think you haven't got to be boxed in to be someone you're not. You've just got to be released to be the person you are because you're on there somewhere. There are some people who could just discern stuff. You go into a room and there's stuff going on. You think, oh, this isn't good. Sensing something. I'm discerning something spiritually here. You know, there's something heavy. What is it? What is it? And God will just give you it. And rather than just say, oh, I know what it is, you can have the authority to pray into it. Bring some breakthrough. Healings, miracles, faith. Do you know, faith is a gift. We're all called to faith. But some people just have the spirit of faith to believe for something outrageous. We've all heard stories of people, and I've heard stories of pastors who believe for millions of pounds of the building. And they've got three men and a dog in their church. And God gives them this building because they just declared it and believed on it and stood for it and positioned themselves for it and kept praying into it. And stuff opens up because they've got this gift of faith. I love exhortation, encouragement. I want to, I think I've got a bit of that and I want to develop it. Wouldn't it be awesome if people came to you just because they need encouraging? How many people in your world just need some encouragement? Well, don't deny it. It's a spiritual gift. And God gives it to us to bring life. So as you're encouraging people, which goes against the spirit of this world, you're bringing life. You turn on your TV and watch a soap opera. You turn on your TV and watch the news and they are pulling each other down, pulling each other down, pulling each other down, being negative. But the spirit says, encourage. It's a completely different thing. Teaching, it's a gift. Leading, 
Maybe you're looking at the thing, oh, I don't know who I'm, but maybe you've just got this ability to, to, to take some people and say, we're going to go and do this, come on. Because it's a spiritual gift. You are up there somewhere. Mercy. I love that. I, I know that the brand is household. I think they're here today somewhere. You carry the gift of mercy. And do you know why I know that? We're going to do a, a hope. We, in our church, we have hope ministries. Some of you won't even be familiar with it yet, but we're going to do a Sunday on it. But when P and M see people in desperate situations, they cry. They can't just look at it and go, oh, it's sad, isn't it? It moves them because something in their spirit says this is not okay. And they don't just cry, they do something about it. It's not about saying, oh, they're there. It's about, this isn't okay, not on my watch, we're stepping in. You know, look out for hope, I forget what week it is. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to do a Hope Sunday. And I'm going to have a chat with them in front of you all, and I believe you're going to be moved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's a God-given thing, and so we should honour it, because it's something flowing in them. I believe, as a church, we are mercy carriers. We, we've launched this church under the name Kesed, which has links to do with mercy. It's who we are. And so what we need to do is find out where's, where are the situations where we need to step in because we're flowing with the Spirit. We are here to bring life and hope. There's something special in you guys. One of the, um, one of the things I think we need to be good at is assessing the need around us. And I very quickly just made a list of some of the things that I think are happening around us. Because you're the answer. Well, God's the answer, but God lives in you. Loneliness. We are more connected as people than ever before, and yet we're more lonely. People don't know each other. We don't, don't actually connect heart to heart anymore. We have a text, we have a video call, but we don't feel each other anymore. People are lonely. Does that spike you? Is there something you could do about that? So much poverty. We see wealth and opulence all around us, but the average person is really struggling right now. People are poor. People in this town, people who attend this school, can't put food on the table in our town. And we see pictures all, all, all over the world of this extreme poverty, but it's also happening on our, on our doorstep. And it's not okay. And we are part of the answer. Over-sexualisation. Everywhere you look now, imagine being a teenager growing up today. It's bad enough when I was a kid. But now, like, everywhere you look, you've got to look a certain way. You've got to dress. The girls are dressing smaller and lower, and it's just like, what on earth? Sarah's in an industry about looks, and some of the girls come in. Have you heard this, this, this website called OnlyFans? And the gist of OnlyFans is that you go on there, and you, you put photos of yourself scantily clad, and then people pay you money to see more. And they're making millions out of it. Millions. Turning up to Sarah's workplace in Lamborghinis and Ferraris. And it's like the young girls are looking at that going, oh, that would be good. But my, my hurt is that will only lead to pain. In the end, it will only lead to pain. It might be okay for a moment, but it's going to lead to pain. And yet the Spirit of God says to me, I could speak life there. I could bring hope there. Have you forgotten who you are? People are losing themselves in this over-sexualized world. It's leading to heartbreak. Trafficking. More people are trafficked in our world than ever before. I'm probably behind on the numbers, but the last time I talked about this, it was 30 million plus people trafficked in our world right now. It's not okay. We need to be carrying the spirit of mercy. 
anxiety and depression, especially this last two years. How many times have you heard people talk about it? We prayed about it this morning. It's not okay. And yet here we are carrying the spirit of God that can bring healing, that can bring prophetic words into people's life, which can bust open doors. People who are carrying the gift of giving that people can't put food on the table. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to pay a month of your bills. There you go, go and live. What would that do for someone? It's like, wow, why are you doing that? Just because I love Jesus. How does that make people feel about Jesus? Can you see this picture, church? I'm trying to put words around this idea of this flow from the temple. It's a flow of the Spirit. And it's a flow we need to be jumping into and saying, oh, just do what you want me to do. I'm on that board somewhere. I've got some gifts. I know to help me to develop them, nurture them. Like the Apostle Paul said as he last letter to Timothy, guard it, grow it, feed it. You're on there somewhere. Here's the thing. You're going to get opportunity. You just will. I, I, I promise you, by the end of the day, you'll have bumped into someone who's needy. You will. And you can say, mm, is it them? Or you could just say, Lord, just I want to step in straight away. Whatever the need is. I had a cup of coffee with someone on Friday. They just rang, rang me up and said, oh, I'm struggling. Friend from the past. And uh, we met and we chatted. And the lad cried a little bit. Got moved a little bit. And I, just, just, I was just kind. Didn't take a lot out of me. But he was able to share his heart and it meant the world to him. Maybe it starts there. A cup of coffee with someone and just your bit of wisdom, your bit of kindness, a little bit of mercy in your heart to say, you know, I may not have it all together myself, but I've got the Spirit of God living in me. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, he might help you because I say yes. Are you hearing me? There's got to be a river of life flowing from this church. So that this town, so that your friends, your family, your work colleagues can experience something of what it would be like to encounter the living Jesus. Because he lives in you. And everywhere Jesus went, he just made life better. Would you stand up? I'd love to pray with you. Again, just uh, want to invite you to close your eyes. No rules, you don't have to, but I think it's helpful. Jesus. Father, I just want to lift up every amazing person here today, every amazing person who will watch this online later. And Lord, we come to you with all of our issues, all of our history, all of our hang-ups, all of our reasons why it couldn't be me. But today, Lord God, we choose to lay them at your feet and say, this is what I've got, but I'm available. And Lord, I just know that you qualify the unqualified. I just know you see us differently. You see the potential in us. You don't see the issues in us. Help us to see it that way, Father. Lord, I want to declare a new confidence over your church, a new courage over your church, a new willingness in your church to just say yes. Use us, Lord God. Send us. We're available.
Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are hovering over us even now. You are welcome here.